Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Rates and Lanes with Rico Mohammed. This is the show where we improve your knowledge of the freight market, improve your bottom line, and improve the transportation industry as a whole. We're talking rates and lanes. Let's move on down the audio road. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I am your host, Rico Mohammed. This is the Race and Lanes Podcast. We got a little bit of catching up to do. We've been on a little bit of a hiatus the past couple of weeks. Sorry we left you guys uh, high and dry, so to speak, but we're going to try to make up for it tonight. Uh, tonight we will be joined by our legal expert, Mr. Hank Seaton. So if you got any questions pertaining to anything legal, all things legal, transportation law related, whether it be contracts, detention, uh, any kind of issues, uh, questions about leases, questions about factoring deals, we got someone that can help you, guide you through a good bit of the legal entanglements when it comes to dealing with those type of things. So you can press the number one. We will try to get your call screened and get you in and up and on board so that you can ask your question yourself directly to Hank. And... If you have any questions for me pertaining to rates and lanes, we'll try and cover those as well. Uh, but tonight, we're going to start off as we normally do in the regular vein. We're going to review this week's USDA truck rate report. And this week, there is not a lot of movement at all on this report. There's only one area that is showing a shortage of trucks in the area, and that area is eastern North Carolina. That is the only area right now, according to the USDA, that there is a major shortage of trucks compared to the loads that are in the area when it comes to anything, fruits and vegetables. Uh, we'll try to get a copy of this link put up on the Rates and Lanes Facebook page for your viewing pleasure. All other markets are reporting adequate supplies of trucks at this time frame. Moving right along, jumping over into this week's DAT trend lines report for the week of February the 18th through the 24th. Van rates took another steep down, uh, excuse me, took another step down last week. But that drop is from record highs that were experienced in January. Reefer rates also moved lower, but flatbed prices gained ground for the third week in a row. The load to truck ratio for flatbeds continued to skyrocket, topping 70.1%. Uh, 70 to 1 load to truck ratios last week. The national average van rate dipped by 1 cents per mile, and the national reefer rate declined by 2 cents per mile, while flatbed rates moved up 5 cents per mile on average. Taking a deeper dive, going to jump over into the uh, U.S. demand and capacity report for drive vans for the week of February the 18th through the 24th. Uh, if I can get my technology to cooperate with me, we will get directly into that. Van load postings declined by 6%, while truck posts rose by 1%. That caused the load-to-truck ratio to fall 7% from 7.2, dropping down to 6.7 loads per truck. That's still almost three times as high as the ratio at the same time 
last year. Uh, the national average van rate also posted a decline in the rates, which we already kind of touched on. Taking a look back historically, van load postings increased 16% in January compared to December, and truck posts increased 6%. As a result, the January load-to-truck ratio increased by 10% to 9.9 van loads per truck the highest monthly average ever recorded in DAT trend lines history. January's ratio was 200% higher than it was in January of 2017. Taking a look at the national average price of diesel fuel, it moved down slightly by 0.7 percentage points, putting us at an average of $3.01 per gallon on average nationally. Moving into the dry van rates on the spot market for the week of February 18th through the 24th, the national average van rate dipped by one cent last week to $2.14 per mile. That was the seventh week in a row that the rate average has declined. However, prices are still much higher than at, the la at this time last year. The load-to-truck ratio for vans also declined last week. Taking a look back historically, the national average van rate for January hit $2.26 per mile, up $0.15 cents compared to December. That's the highest monthly average van rate ever recorded in Trendline's history. The rate was $0.59 cents higher than the average in January of 2017. Taking a look around the country for dry vans, breaking it up by region, starting out in the northeastern portion of the United States, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania being the representative city, shows an average spot market rate on the outbound side of coming out of Philly at $2.08 per mile. Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, Atlanta, Georgia checks in showing an average spot market rate for a dry van $2.35 per mile. Moving up into the Midwest, Chicago, Illinois being the representative city, setting the benchmark for dry vans, showing an average spot market rate at $2.64 per mile. Moving down into the south central portion of the United States, Dallas, Texas checks in, showing an average spot market rate of $1.87 per mile. Wrapping up the report, on the west coast, the city of Angels, Los Angeles, California, showing an average spot market rate of $2.14 per mile on average. And we're going to switch gears and jump over into uh, flatbed. i tell you, my, my uh, bear with me here for a second, ladies and gentlemen, my Technology is not wanting to cooperate with me at all tonight. Here we go. Getting into the flatbed demand and capacity report for the week of February 18th through the 24th. Flatbed load postings increased by 10% and truck postings dipped by 1%. That pushed the load to truck ratio 10% higher from 64.2 loads per truck 
up to 70.8 loads per truck. The national average flatbed rate gained five cents over the previous week. Taking a look back historically compared to December, the flatbed load post increased 54% in January, while truck posts declined by 2%. That resulted in a 57% increase in the load-to-truck ratio compared to the previous month. At 55.8 loads per truck, the ratio was 144% higher than it was at the same time in January of 2017. Taking a look at how the rates perform, if I can talk, at the, how the rates performed on the spot market flatbeds over the previous week. While van and reefer rates have declined, during February, flatbed rates have risen for the third week in a row. Last week, the national average flatbed rate increased $0.05 cents per mile to $2.35 per mile on average. The capacity in the flatbed market also continues to tighten as low-to-truck ratios for flatbeds increased 10% last week. Taking a look back historically, compared to December, the national average flatbed rate in January jumped by $0.07 cents to $2.39 per mile. The flatbed rates are 47%, I mean, excuse me, $0.47 cents higher than January of 2017. Taking a look around the country by regions on outbound spot market averages, coming out, starting out in the northeastern portion of the United States, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania checks in, showing average spot market rates of $3.86 per mile for flatbeds that leads the charge. Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, Atlanta, Georgia, being the representative city, showing average spot market rates for flatbeds at $2.68 per mile. Moving up into the Midwestern portion of the United States, Rock Island, Illinois, checking in, showing an average of $3.27 per mile for flatbeds. Moving down into the South Central portion of the United States, Houston, Texas, checking in, showing an average spot market rate for flatbeds at $2.67 per mile. Wrapping up the report coming out of the West Coast, uh, Los Angeles, California, showing an average spot market rate for flatbeds at $1.80 per mile. That, ladies and gentlemen, wraps up this week's uh, portion of the flatbed report. Let's jump over and see how reefers were performing on the van, on, excuse me, on the uh, demand and capacity portion of the report for refrigerated freight for DAT. For the week of February, the uh, excuse me, I'm experiencing another glitch here. Huh. Okay, reefer load postings declined two cents last two percent last week, following its national its normal seasonal slowdown. Truck posts declined by one percent which caused the national load-to-truck ratio for reefers to decline 3% from 9.6 loads per truck down to 9.3 loads per truck. Historically, in January, reefer load posts increased 17%, while truck posts increased by 3% compared to December. That caused the load-to-truck ratio to increase by 14%,
jumping up to 16.1 loads per truck. The, re the ratio was up 118% compared to January of 2017. Let's take a look and see how the refill rates were performing over the previous week on the spot market for reefers. And the national average reefer rate declined two cents, dropping down to $2.43 per mile on average. Still, the average reefer rate is 56 cents higher than a year ago. Taking a look back historically at reefer rates, in January, the national average reefer rate was $2.66 per mile, which was 18 cents higher than the December average and the highest monthly average ever recorded in DAT trend lines history. Compared to January 2017, the rate was 71 cents higher. Taking a look around the uh, country on the spot market for reefers, beginning in the northeastern portion of the United States, Elizabeth, New Jersey, checking in showing average outbound spot market rates at $2.24 per mile. Moving down into Lakeland, Florida, we have average spot market rates at $1.74 per mile. Moving up into the Midwest, Green Bay, Wisconsin, leading the charge on the spot market, showing an average outbound rate of $3.44 per mile. Dropping down into uh, the South Central, Allen, Texas, coming out of that Rio Grande, showing an average spot market rate of $2.55 per mile. And wrapping up the report coming out of Fresno, California, showing an average spot market rate of $2.22 per mile. That, ladies and gentlemen, will wrap up this week's DAT Trendlines report. Let's move right along and jump over really quickly into this week's bad the portion of the show that we don't necessarily enjoy, but we want to get this information out to you guys to make sure that you are not being burned uh, by bad business fellows. Starting out with this week's report, CNJ Logistics Inc. That DLT number for those guys is two two eight. Um, excuse me, two 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 five eight zero. Their MC number is four two zero six five seven. FMCSA shows that the surety bond is canceled. They is reported to have over $105,000 in non-payment complaints. Grable Forders, Inc., the OT number is 221-3182. Their MC number is 184-224. Uh, this broker has over $85,000 in unpaid carrier invoices. Cart Brokerage Services, LLC. Their DOT number is 222-4798. Their MC number is 354-556. FMCSA shows that the trust fund is scheduled for cancellation. They are reported to have over $606,000 in non-payment complaints that have been reported. And if you just keep in track, guys, this is way over the $75,000 fund. Um, but this is why this uh, we try to bring this information to you guys and share it with you. Um, make sure that you're doing your due diligence before you book a load. Just don't get caught in the spot thinking that oh, i got to get some revenue on the truck 
make sure you're doing your due diligence. Make sure that you are checking and running these people's credit. Um, and 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 I, I'll once I finish up the report, I'm going to give a an anecdotal story that I experienced today myself. Uh, just don't you can't just can't trust the information off of. Uh, the, the, the credit information that's on the low boards per se. And I'll, I'll get into that just a little bit later. Let me wrap up the report. Phoenix Logistics Supply Chain Solutions, Inc., their DOT number is 223-5419. Their MC number is 543910. Uh, this broker has over $90,000 in unpaid carrier invoices. Willow Creek Transport and Brokerage, Inc., their DOT number is 218-6471. MC number is 639-595. They have over $56,000 in non-payment complaints that have been reported. South Coast Logistics, LLC. DOT number is 262-7007. MC number is 911-001. Trust fund is canceled. Over $50,000 in active non-payment complaints that have been reported. Recycling Revolution, LLC. This is a shipper. Recycling Revolutions, LLC, uh, has been reported that they have over $7,000 in unpaid carrier invoices. Buzz Logistics, LLC. That DOT number is 232-4802. MC number is 792-039. Trust funds Council. Over $42,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. Brom Logistics, Inc., that DOT number is 233-8160. The MC number is 787-926. FMCSA shows surety bond is canceled. Over $33,000 in reported non-payment complaints. Micro Logistics, LLC, Macro Transportation, LLC. DOT number is 224-8202. MC number is 736-882. FMCSA shows trust fund is canceled. Over $150,000 in active non-payment complaints have been reported. Polar Transport, Inc., Polar Solutions, Inc. MC number is 567-053. FMCSA shows that the trust fund is set to cancel on 3-21-18. Over $249,000 in active non-payment complaints have been reported. Maywood Freight Company, Inc., DOT number is 299-7358. That MC number is 022-243. FMCSA shows trust fund is canceled. Over $70,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. Uh, Cart Brokerage Services, LLC. Uh, this is a lengthy report on them. Stand, just, let's, let's just say uh, Cart Brokerage, LLC. Let's make sure that you guys are staying away from them. I don't, I don't want to get into this whole thing. That MC number for them is 354-556. Again, the MC number for CART, Brokerage Services, LLC, is 
it's quite a lengthy uh, report on them. Steadfast Transport LLC. That MC number is six seven two two eight six. FMCSA shows trust fund is set for cancellation. Uh, should have been canceled already. Two eighteen two eight seventeen. Uh, over twenty thousand dollars in non-payment complaints have been reported. And rounding out the report, AG Specialties LLC MC. Uh, we don't have the MC number for them. Uh, AG Specialties LLC. Uh, FMCSA shows that their trust fund is canceled. They have over twenty thousand dollars in non-payment complaints that have been reported. Uh, that, ladies and gentlemen, wraps up that portion of the show. Um, let me see. I have to uh, give me a second here. We have to get Hank up on and on board with us. Uh, his call seems to have dropped out, so let me try to reconnect him really quickly, and we will get back going with the show. Guys, bear with me. We're going to try to get Hank right in. Rico? Hank. Yes, hey, sir. We you? got you up and live. Good. Good evening. Good evening. How are you tonight? Everything is well here. It's a little rainy in Nashville, but everything's fine. Good deal. Good deal. So, it's been a little while since we had a chance to converse. Uh, we 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 missed the show last week, so we tried to make up for lost time. And what's going on up on the hills? Are there any important things coming down out of D.C. that uh, everybody out here needs to be aware of? And we got looks like we got a couple people that maybe have their hands raised as well. So okay, uh, we'll, great. First of all, we want to well, see if there see if there's anything that that um, is coming up on the radar that we might need to be made aware of. You know, I think we're still trying to digest the ELD. That's been such a fiasco in terms of uh, uh, getting off the ground. Uh, that uh, that plus, I think the uh, the agency, which just now has appointed an administrator, has been uh, uh, reluctant to advance anything. Uh, I get the sensation that since most of its agenda uh, is uh, uh, has a very liberal bent and a big business bent. They're pro- uh, probably waiting until after the fall elections to take a whole lot to the hill. We know that they're supposed to have a corrective action plan filed in January, and they have uh, met with uh, uh, some uh, academics about when they're going to table it, but I don't get the sense there's any urgency and so it's kind of all quiet on that front. It's also all quiet on the front of regulatory reform. You know, we presented a whole bunch of uh, of excellent ideas to uh, 
uh, get bureaucracy off of our back, including uh, changes to the hours of service requirements, uh, more due process in the audit process, uh, a way to avoid uh, uh, the heavy hammer of uh, uh, big data on small carriers, and none of that has been taken up or considered by the current administration. So uh, I would say that the, the hottest button around is uh, on the one hand the ELD and on the other uh, some efforts to impose some restrictions on the flexibility of particularly truckload carriers with the shippers insisting on guaranteed delivery times, the problems we talked about the last time we got together with uh, uh, detention and uh, uh, the lack of compensation for that and how bad, bad it screws up a, a truckload carrier's ability to get miles and get home um, if, he's, uh, if he's delayed for unloading purposes. So I think those are still are still the big issues. Uh, uh, there's there are other issues that people may want to raise and we can talk about. But uh, I guess you can say uh, that it's fortunate that we aren't facing more at this time. I think people are still trying to uh, figure out how the wind's going to blow in terms of equipment shortage. Last time we talked, people were seeing phenomenal rates and uh, shippers begging for equipment. I don't know whether or not that's the same. I'll say one other thing. Uh, in the next two weeks, I'm going to have an opportunity to talk to a bunch of, of uh, shippers and brokers, primarily about uh, uh, what's going on in the marketplace. So I'll be happy to convey any message that anybody has about what's wrong with transportation and shippers and brokers at that time if somebody wants to comment tonight. Right, and I want to just remind everybody that's listening in, we may have a couple of new listeners. If you got a question for Hank, anything transportation law related, we can we can pretty much cover them. Uh, but if you got a question, don't be bashful. Go ahead and press the number one. The only stupid question is the question is not asked. So you never know until you put it out there. Uh, we do got a, a couple people with their hands raised. Let's go and grab before I get into anything else, because I, I always like for the callers to have participation in the show. Let me go and grab Brad really quickly. Brad, you're up and on board with Rico and Hank. How can we help? Hey, guys. So I've had my own authority for about a year and a half now. And when I first started, I signed a lot of contracts without really reading through them. And I still do do work for those brokers. So I'm just wondering how now do I go back and change those contracts that, you know, don't have that good of language in them for me? Great question. The, that is a good question, uh, and you're very uh, astute to realize that if you signed a uh, contract to get one particular load, unless you cancel that uh, five years later, it can be jerked out on the next load to uh, require you to pay a cargo claim, to uh, offset uh, uh, damage against you, whatever is in that contract. Uh, will continue to plague you unless you formally cancel it. Uh, most of them have a cancellation notice. Uh, I think it's uh, it's good to periodically review what you've signed and cancel the ones that are particularly unfair, so that if they do tender you a new uh, a new load, you can start afresh. Now, what will happen if you uh, are in their database as a carrier? Uh, then you're pre-qualified to have another load. 
only if uh, they've got you on a dedicated lane where you've got some kind of guarantee does that really make a whole lot of difference because they're probably going to come trolling for you on uh, DAT or internet truck stops and at that point you know you uh, hopefully will have some negotiating room to either sign the con a new contract as you modify it or just go on to somebody else but I do think it's it's kind of like uh, 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 kind of like leave, uh, leaving a pothole in the road if you leave the contract there. You're liable to run over it the next time you come through. What type of yeah. what type of provisions are you seeing in the contracts that are particularly concerning to you? Um, you know, I haven't went through them all, but I know there's some in there I find that have you know where you're waving your rights. So right there's a red flag from listening to you. And, you know, I'm not sure what else is all in there. Like I say, I haven't went back and read through them, but I, I know there's some in there that, you know, if things went bad, it, it would not be good for me. Yeah, there there is a dirty dozen uh, or so items that I mentioned in Rules of the Road that, you know, can make a pretty good tick list of uh, abusive provisions and contracts to watch for. I want to mention one that is coming back to haunt people now. There, You will see in contracts waiver of rules pertaining to cargo claims. In cargo claims, they have to prove uh, that they've mitigated the damage. They have to prove that the freight was uh, inspected, and they have to give you the right of salvage. They will usually waive that, come up with their own sole discretion to dump the load, come up with the fact that once they dump the load, they can deduct it from your freight charges. And another little trick is that they say that if they have to sue you, they get their attorney's fees. In the past two weeks, I have been made poignantly aware of shippers using that to take a chump change claim. By that, I mean one of $10,000 and say, you either pay us now or we'll hire our lawyer and you'll end up paying us $100,000 because you'll have to pay his attorney's fees. That is just a crippler for a small guy. So be carefully watching anything that says that the prevailing party will pay their attorney's fees because uh, I just came out of a, uh, of a situation which I was an expert witness and the claim was actually manageable. But uh, the attorneys on the other side spent hundreds of hours trying to litigate it, and if they got uh, twenty-five thousand, the attorney's fees would have been two hundred thousand. So that's something you need to watch as well. Right. Yeah, and I have seen that in recent contracts too. And I actually called one broker out on it, and they won't change it for me. Well, you got to realize, uh, uh, and I was talking to Rico today about this, those those big brokers all sit down and work on model contracts. And the model contracts uh, start off as what they promise their shipper they will do. And one of the interesting things is with respect to the Food Safety Modernization Act, the contracts that they've now entered in is a model contract says that uh, they'll comply with FISMA, which is right and good. But then it's got a provision that says that they will contractually require the carrier 
to do anything the shipper says on a load confirmation sheet. Now, that opens the door for the big shippers to say that here's your load confirmation sheet. You agree that uh, uh, they'll determine whether the load is salvaged, you'll waive uh, inspection, and uh, you'll pay them uh, uh, for whatever their terms and conditions are, which can mean that unless uh, the temperature is kept within two degrees of tender, the whole load will be declared uh, uh, inedible or unfit for human consumption. And life just doesn't work that way, particularly if uh, you're not required to constantly run the reefer, or more importantly, uh, you get a load that is loaded hot and you didn't know it. So uh, little tricks like that uh, are, are pregnant in these contracts, and, uh, you know, it's uh, there needs to be some standard rules uh, that apply because you very well can't have to put on lawyer spectacles and read every word. But that's just one you need to work for. Uh, if it's produce uh, or uh, perishable commodities, look for a load confirmation sheet uh, or something at time of tender that uh, will take away your salvage rights. Remember now, nobody on this line has insurance that will cover that kind of exposure. Right, and I, just to give you an example of that one I was talking to you about earlier, Hank, this is how it reads. I'll leave the broker's name out of it. Reserves, it says it reserves the right to determine how a reject, rejection is handled. This includes, but not limited to, salvage of the product, location for salvage, donating and or dumping and rejecting the goods. Uh, instructions will be emailed to the carrier and must be followed. This is for the protection of all parties to ensure compliance with the with uh, FISMA guidelines. I want a copy of that sent to me. I will read it it's, to it's all, it's already It's already on your right, way. <laughs> I promise you, it'll be it'll be read. It'll be read, and uh, I'll promise you that uh, there'll be a list of who who's people that I'll 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 just say this. Uh, this is uh, impossible for a small person to live with because your your cargo insurance company is going to walk away from that. I've been looking at cargo policies this, this week, and I've looked at three of them, and every one of them would disqualify that language from having to pay a claim. And see, that's what the, that, that's the, the man... That is the genie in the bottle right there because a lot of people really don't understand what they're getting themselves into when dealing with, when dealing with uh, especially on the spot market. But I don't want to hold the conversation real quick. I want to let Brad, Brad, do you want to f finish up the, with that at the end of your uh, spiel? Do you have well, anything else before I move on? I'm just curious on when you come up with that stuff. I mean, if you just cross it out, does that mean that it's not in the contract anymore, or how do you deal with that? Well, here's here's the approach they take. Uh, that load confirmation sheet is binding on you if you pick up the shipment, but your your change in it, they say, isn't binding because they didn't sign it. <laughs> uh, so you uh, you get something comes over your dispatcher, make some corrections and fax it back to them. Unless they sign off on it, they're going to go ahead and offset against you anyway. It's basically as it sets up now as long as it's competitive advantage and they can all get together and say take it or leave it uh, unless uh, uh, 
uh, unless there's either some new legislation or people start sticking together, uh, it's going to be jammed down your throat. Now, you can imagine that the large carriers who have their own freight aren't going to sign some kind of contract with that as a master agreement with Cisco Foods or something. Uh, they're going to have their lawyers look at it, and they're going to say, hey, wait a minute, this isn't fair. But the whole problem with the spot market is if you're stuck in Keokuk and you need to move the truck, uh, a lot of those risks will be jammed downstream on you. And, you know, it's great for me as a lawyer to say not uh, don't sign it, but uh, then, you know, your risk component goes up. Uh, and it, it's a significant risk. Uh, you know, I do all that I can <clears throat> to try to write and preach and tell people that uh, it, it's it's not a fair uh, a fair deal for a shipper to cram onto a carrier a uh, a loss that it can't insure for. But you know, when they get to, to the point that they say, "Oh, it's a safety matter," we've determined we've determined that. After uh, 40 years of transporting lettuce, that all of a sudden, if there's a brown leaf, the whole load has to be destroyed because somebody might get sick. You know, that is appealing to emotion. That's not true. I've had cases in which Front Street would buy the load, give me a certification that it was fit for human consumption, and indemnify the carrier against uh, any harm, even that wasn't satisfactory to the shipper who wanted the load trashed. So uh, it's uh, it, it, there's nothing there's nothing fair about it. Uh, I guess the best thing we can hope for in the in the economy is that trucks get uh, uh, get tight and that the competitive balance gets to the point that that kind of stuff doesn't doesn't work. One thing that we're trying to do on FISMA is it says that the load must be inspected, but the, one of the issues is by whom. And we need a better system for saying, uh, uh, Mr. Carrier, you call me when you've got a distress load, and I'll tell you who can inspect it in 24 hours before you dump it. Because uh, if you can get a, a report on it, and then you can uh, send the shipper a note that says, I got a report that says, that this is fit for human consumption, I will dump it uh, uh, upon your request, but I'm going to demand as an offset the uh, uh, the diminished value of the load, then you've got something that I can deal with. If you just take it to the dump uh, uh, without getting it inspected, then you don't have a whole lot of rights. And, you know, I would just put on those kinds of contracts uh, I'd like to see every every small carrier publish basic rules that says uh, we'll provide $100,000 worth of cargo. Uh, we assume no liability beyond our cover. Uh, our cover is restricted to uh, uh, cases in which there is afforded an opportunity for inspection, mitigation, and salvage. And then uh, just strike that kind of uh, abusive language out and put C carriers rule circular. I'd love to see us get to the point where every every guy who's got one truck could uh, could have a, a one-page rule circular on a web and just put it in there. 
but you know that's that's going to take uh, uh, some uh, some work because as uh, as long as there are many uh, as many carriers out here working for loads, we're gonna we're gonna encounter this kind of problem where a guy says, "I don't care, I'm the only game in town." No, no that that covers my question. All right, Brad, well, we appreciate the phone call. We're going to put you back on hold. And we're going to go and jump and grab Colin. Colin, you're up and on board with, with Rico and Hank. How can we help? I just wanted to make a comment. Um, before I started my brokerage, I actually had Hank write up um, what was required of my carriers. And uh, we submitted that, and the insurance company had what they required us to use, and it was made very clear if we, if the carrier crosses anything out on the contract, then we cannot use that carrier because it'll violate our insurance with the insurance company that you know covers the factoring. I mean, the brokerage company. So it's very touchy what you can cross out and what you can add. Uh, we have uh, Admiral Merch and stuff, so we don't even do business with because they cross everything out. Well, let me ask you, caller, uh, if uh, if you are looking for contingent cargo insurance, I would assume that uh, as a broker, uh, in order to be sure that the carrier has coverage, you're going to want him to... Uh, except uh, CARMAC liability with, with a certain limit, and uh, that that is going to trigger your contingent cover because most contingent carriers, at least the ones I saw today, uh, required, uh, the best of them required you to be sure that the guy was uh, licensed, authorized, and insured, and you had a certificate of insurance that said that he had uh, uh, cargo cover. But then it goes on to say, that the most they'll pay is his legal liability under general principles of transportation law. So you, you can't, where I see it is where the broker asks for more and the carrier doesn't have it. Is that the issue you're describing or is it a different one? No, my, my issue is uh, you wrote the, um, the contract that we send out to the carriers mm -hmm. and then the insurance company said, no, we can't use that. You have to use ours. And if you don't use ours and anybody crosses anything out, then you have no insurance. So that's what I was wow. trying to get across to this gentleman. Yeah, so, I mean, we paid you. So you're telling me your insurance company, your insurance company uh, uh, required uh, uh, something else of the carrier? Can you tell me what? I'd be interested. We we couldn't use, we couldn't use what you gave us. So, but the well, other listen, thing, well, call we me back. About, call me back. Call me back channel because I'm interested in finding out uh, what insurance company uh, requires more to to trigger your contingent cargo. Yeah, I'll send it. See, I got to get that stuff over to you in the next couple of days anyway. But my other, while well, we're talking about insurance. My biggest beef is we do a lot of power only and loadouts through the brokerage, and so many carriers have the wrong 
insurance. I argued with a gentleman last Friday, and he said, well, the agent said, well, this is what the carrier asked for. And I told him, I said, yes, but you're the one that went to school. You're the one that has the license to sell the insurance. The carrier is only asking for what he thinks or he heard at the table at the restaurant. And it's to do with the trailer interchange, non-owned and unidentified insurance. And so many people are running around with trailer interchange insurance, and they do not realize that without a trailer interchange agreement, and without actually picking up a trailer that belongs to Company A, dropping it and picking up another trailer that belongs to Company A, um, there is no interchange if you go from Company A to Company B, so therefore you have no insurance. And so many people have the wrong insurance, and they just don't understand because they got what their insurance agent told them. Uh, a, I, I, I definitely think you make a very important point that an insurance agent and the accord certificate they issue says it's not insurance to read the policy. I had somebody today send me a binder and said, here's my policy. I looked at it and said on page one, this isn't the policy, and you can't rely on it. So that is actually another insurance issue that you have to drill down to the language of the policy. Something also that you mentioned that it really concerns me is what is a proper interchange agreement and what is an interchange endorsement uh does that mean that does that does that mean in the broadest terms that there is physical damage coverage on a leased uh, uh trailer if it's given to you on a power only move and if so does it have to be given to you by another carrier or can it be uh uh, lease to you by a leasing company on a one-way or a round-trip move, or can it be owned by the broker or the forwarder? All of those are issues that have to be teased out, and they're particularly difficult issues for some carrier who wants to establish a trailer pool and let uh, uh, subcontractors pull power-only moves. And all of that, again, just as you point out, is tied up in the fine point of the trailer interchange agreement. Well, what really upset me was I told the carrier, I said, you have to have non-owned or unidentified. So the insurance company added non-owned liability insurance. And I'm like, as soon as he hooks the trailer to the truck, he has liability insurance. Why are you selling this man insurance that does him no good? That, to me, made absolutely no sense. So this guy was paying for trailer interchange insurance, which wasn't worth the paper it was written on because no broker can give him a trailer interchange agreement. And then he was paying for liability insurance, which he already had because the trailer was hooked to the truck. Yeah, there is, there is a, a wrinkle there, and the wrinkle is this. In many carrier policies, the... Uh, uh, see how this works in 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 many policies of insurance the trailer uh that that you own is insured so if i'm a large carrier and i have a, a trailer that i let you use even though there's a trailer interchange agreement that covers the fizz dam 
that trailer still is on my policy so that if you have an accident, uh, the plaintiff can get your million dollars and a million dollars from my insurance company. So, you know, you've got to work with the insurance policy company to decide, am I willing to give plaintiff's bar an extra million dollars because they figure out that there's another million on the trailer, or do I just want to uh, basically write that out of the policy so I rely on the power-only carrier for the obligation to the third party? So it's it's I know people on the line are probably saying, boy, how do we get in this conversation? It's so complex you can't understand it. But trust me, it does result in in major issues. The question is, here Amazon's got everybody pulling their trailers. Uh, are those trailers insured? People are going to get to Amazon if uh, if uh, any of you hit a school bus anyway. But the, how do, you, how do you structure that transaction so that plaintiff's bar just doesn't get additional access to insurance, and then in your contract, you've got to turn around and indemnify Amazon? Well, you know, if their insurance company pays out a million, then they're going to turn around and look for you for the uninsured million, and you'll be, in, you'll be toast. So uh, this whole insurance thing has to be figured into the components, and particularly with... Uh, 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 drop and hook trailers. Uh, they, there's got to be some sophistication put into that. And caller, you're 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 exactly on point. Uh, you know, uh, if you are a broker and uh, you want to access a trailer on uh, a, a a pool to avoid uh, detention, who should own those trailers, and how should you be compensated for it? Should you say, oh well? There's a lease trailer pool, and uh, we'll deduct $15 a, uh, a day from your settlement payment and transmit the money to the owner of the trailer. Is that the way to do it? Or should the, or should the broker uh, uh, lease the trailers uh, and then tell the, uh, uh, the, the power-only guy, look, I'm going to cut your rate because you don't have a trailer in the game. Those two things have completely different insurance replications. Right, because one thing that I've been looking at doing is, since I do so much power only myself with my own trucks and then with the brokerage, I've actually been looking at um, buying my own trailers and then supplying them to the power only carriers as a percentage of what the load pays, which is what Landstar does, you know, and by me dispatching them, if the load doesn't pay very well, then you don't get reimbursed very well for the use of your trailer. But if it does, it's a win-win for everybody, you know. Well, so I mean, you know, you, you mentioned the Landstar model. I don't really know how they're, they're doing it, but you're, you're saying that if your power only with Landstar, uh, is the trailer owned by uh, 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 an asset-based division of Landstar, or is it owned by... A, 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 a leasing division, or is it owned by Landstar Logistics? Those are the three issues that you get down to in terms of uh, figuring out their liability issue. In their case, do you know uh, who's the uh, who's the owner and maintainer of the equipment? Is it uh, a Landstar uh, uh, asset-based company, or is it a leasing affiliate, or how does that work, if you know? 
I I don't know, but what I saw on their contract was they charge 8% of what the load pays. But what I was going to do, if I was going to do it, was obviously discuss it with you, but probably put my trailers in a totally separate leasing company so they weren't tied to either the trucking company or the brokerage company. Well, you know, it's interesting. Maybe great minds are thinking along the same line because uh, I've been asked to look at that, and I'm noodling with that very idea, which is that uh, that people who are uh, got dedicated lanes and things like that uh, set up a leasing affiliate. Uh, I'm not sure how much good. There's a thing called the Graves Amendment that says that anybody like Hertz Penske or or uh, enterprise or, or whatever that leases equipment will not be vicariously liable for the acts or omissions of the leasee, which uh, which kind of helps. And you know, it certainly helps if uh, if you're uh, uh, seat and transport and you hire somebody to provide power only to not have seat and transport all over the back of the trailer uh, and uh, let plaintiffs bar say, well, gee whiz. Uh, uh, you brokered the load. You required him to have macro point, and you had your name on the trailer. What is it you don't understand? You became uh, a joint venturer. You know, right. you you can well, you control the equipment, and this power only guy might as well have been an owner operator for all fact uh, for all actual purposes. So I think uh, I think what you're saying is sage. I think it makes it makes sense uh, absent something with the trailer interchange language in the policies to. Uh, make that deduction, but it's uh, uh, you know it's at the uh, carrier's uh, uh, election. Does he want to wait in line, or does he want to pull somebody else's trailer? And if he does, that you'll make accommodations for the lease. But the the lease on the equipment would be between the uh, leasing company and the carrier, albeit for uh, one round trip move exit to uh, uh, Walmart DC or whatever. Does that make sense? Well. Yeah, and I know when I when I got from you know one truck to five trucks or two or three trucks, and a truck broke down, and I think I was with Progressive because it was at the beginning of really running over the road, and I couldn't take the truck off of the insurance because it was broke down, and so that's when I started a leasing company and I put all my trucks in the leasing company, and then. If I needed to remove a truck from my insurance, I just canceled the lease with my leasing company, and that way I didn't have to sell the truck while I waited for it to get fixed or whatever, you know. That's how I yeah, started I, doing that. Yeah, I, I think I think that makes some uh, some excellent sense, particularly if you're uh, if you're paying well if you're paying on gross revenue. I don't guess it makes a difference. But if you're paying on a per unit basis, and the truck's not operable, uh, you're going to want to take it off your policy, and it's a whole lot cleaner uh, if uh, if your logo and bingo it if your logo isn't on the side, and it's uh, out in a lot of the leasing company. Right. Yeah. So anyway, that's all I had. Well, one of a quick question. I'm going to take take all the time up, but. We had an issue uh, today. One of my drivers, we had three drops, comes up to the last drop, short 34 cases. The lumpers unloaded everything. Uh, it was a no-touch load to the driver, 
and now the broker is like, well, where are these 34 cases? What do we do to protect ourselves in a situation like that? Did you did you re were you required to or did you resale uh, reseal the uh, uh, the load after each slot? Yes, the driver showed up with a seal on each each stop. Uh, did did the driver count the freight on, or was it shipper load and count constantly unloaded? He, I asked the driver if he was on the dock, and he said that the shipper loaded it, but he didn't sign the bills, shipper load and count, and I don't know if he was allowed to be on the dock or not. That's why I well, told him from now on, we got to make yeah, sure it, if you it, can be it, on the dock. You, we you, still don't know what you got. Yeah, you sign it, shipper load and count, constantly unload. And even though it's a multiple stop, you got a pretty good argument that the seal was attached uh, after each load. Uh, obviously, you know, one of three things could have happened, the most unlikely of which is it was stolen off the trailer. Uh, what's more than likely is it was short counted on. Uh, was there any kind of, uh, of artificial barrier between the drops? Or was it just count off uh, 25 cases at number one and 40 at number two? You know, I mean, it could that, have been. A I fast don't know. Fast. I got a feeling it was just what you said on the ladder. You know, just count off here, and I'm sure it's just the lumber screwed up. You know. Well, the other thing that you can do, and you know, uh, what you can do and what a shipper lets you get away with are two different things. But on a shipment like that, you can require them to go back and count their inventory and see if they receive those 32 cases, uh, 34 cases, at one of the other stops. Right. Uh, That's what I was but, thinking. Would have yeah, to but, I mean, you know, uh, to think that uh, all four consignees are going to go take an inventory count and say, oops, we got 34 additional cases uh, is uh, like going on an Easter egg hunt. Uh, but, I mean, you know, that's... That's the way it was done in the in the old days, and you know you could right. deny the, you could deny the claim based upon uh, the lack of an inventory count at the others. But I mean, you know, at some point uh, when you got those multiple stops, uh, your driver almost he can't go to the lunchroom while they unloaded. He almost has to watch the lumpers unloaded because right. uh, you know they they've been known to steal it off the back of the truck too. Oh, yeah, but a lot of the time they won't allow you on the dock anyway, you know, there's a liability reason. So. Well, yeah, I understand that, and, you know, that's basically the reason that the drivers should all learn that their name is not Hank Seaton. It's S-L-N-C, Hank Seaton. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that just, just, just put it down there and just tell them if you're not allowed on the dock, don't make a big deal about it. Just put SLC with their name on it. Yeah. And if somebody wants to wants to bitch about it, tell them to unload it so and load it again so you can count it. Yeah, yeah. That sounds good. Well, I mean, that, that's right, really. I appreciate. Yeah, Go that's ahead. really about where we're getting with this. Yep. All right, Carlo, All right well, I appreciate, we appreciate it. Guys. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Pretty much wrapped it, wrapped up the show there. Time just flew by for that hour there. Uh, 
for ladies and gentlemen, you know, for all the things that we talk about, especially when Hank comes on, you know, we have a, we try to get as much stuff as we can out of Hank while we have him. But Hank does have a book, a, a, a good point of reference for you to have. I suggest you have one in your library or in your truck or wherever you easily accessible for you. You can go pick that book up. The latest version of his book is Rules of the Roads. You can get that book over at transcomply.com. Transcomply.com is the place that you can go to to grab that book and also to get signed up with Hank um, and, and over there with the uh, FISMA compliant uh, uh, training that they offer as well. Uh, you can get hooked up with that deal over there on transcomply.com. Uh, Hank, how uh, how can folks also get in contact with you offline if they need any of your services other than those? Yes, yeah. it might be it might be best, uh, I guess, for if, if anybody's on the line to go to transportationlaw.net. That's transportationlaw.net. Uh, you can get uh, you can get the book. You can get uh, uh, the uh, the FISMA stuff, and we've got a whole bunch of other uh, kind of free advice out there from columns that I've written over the years. Uh, you know, was one on identity theft. There's a, a whole bunch of topical things that uh, you can research. So it would probably uh, be advisable for you to write down transportationlaw.net as well. Uh, in addition, the couple of callers that called tonight, uh, uh, really called about things that I'm dealing with uh, 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 in part of a couple of presentations I make. So I urge them to give me a call. Uh, my number is shown on uh, uh, the uh, the website transportationlaw.net. Uh, and you know, I'd, uh, some of this stuff, uh, some of this stuff, Rico, we need to we need to find a way to uh, to disseminate. I, I unfortunately, guys, I don't. Uh, do social uh, uh, internet as well as other people, but maybe we need to start circulating some of these ideas with likes on them and see how much uh, support we can get from uh, people similarly situated to uh, put an end to some of this, this mischief. Uh, I think this uh, uh, drop and hook uh, uh, power only thing is here to stay, and you're going to be looking at uh, these kinds of uh, uh, interchange agreements. You're going to be having to look at some way to avoid the long lines of detention, and those are things maybe we can talk about in, in, in coming months. Absolutely, and and Hank, I just want to remind I, you. Check your email. I, I sent you over a couple of different agreements um, that we talked about a little earlier, so, I, so you should have those in your email box right now. Uh, but with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, we want to thank Hank for taking time out of his busy schedule to come on, take on the tough questions, and help guide us little guys. You know, kind of our uh, quasi-legal department for you know for us us guys that don't have don't have the uh, uh, big big attorneys on retainer. Hank takes time out of his schedule to make sure to try to inform us, to, to enlighten us, and to bring us up to speed on things that we need to be aware of and conscious of in our business model to keep us out of the weeds. So uh, definitely go over and support that. You know, go grab the book, and if, it, if you need any kind of help or anything like that, Hank is always more than willing to, to try to uh, keep us on the right path. So make sure you try to support those that support you. Uh, with that being said, we're going to wrap up and close out the show. I want to thank everybody to, uh, 
especially Kevin and Lisa Rutherford, for providing us with the platform to be able to bring this show to you on a weekly basis. And But most importantly, we want to thank you guys, the listener, for taking time out of your schedule for tuning in tonight, listening in, uh, participating, and telling someone else about the show. We definitely are grateful for that, and we definitely appreciate that. I want to thank you guys. We will see you guys, God willing, same time, same place next week. Uh, with that being said, be safe out there, you guys. And like I always say, keep it in between the mustard and the mayonnaise. Good night, everybody. Thanks, Hank. You're welcome. Bye-bye.